Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. All right, well, we've got loads and loads of stuff to cover this week uh, for this week's show. Uh, So that being said, let's get right into stuff. The first thing that I need to say, I want to say uh, something I've just, I've been totally awestruck and I, I don't know exactly how to express this fully, but I need to send out probably the most sincere, most heartfelt thank you uh, out to every single one of you out there that have listened to this show, uh, have expressed you know sympathies for uh, the problems that you know I've went through with my tank over the last uh, uh, couple weeks back. Uh, the emails, the phone calls, uh, the messages left on the voicemail, uh, everything has just been just amazing. Uh, it's, it's I, I can't even put it into words on how great it's been uh, to hear everybody uh, with their, their comments and their best wishes. And honestly, uh, it's really because of everybody that's been so supportive and so helpful uh, that's been going on. It's really been driving me to, um, to put this incident behind me, uh, make it the most of a learning experience as possible, and, and get going right back into things and, uh, and uh, uh, just to keep moving on. Uh, also, I want to give a special thanks to uh, Christy, also known as Reef Baby on the forums. Uh, she had spent a little bit of time working with uh, Steve from Coral Dynamics uh, to put together a, I guess, a, a disaster relief fund is what they call it. Uh, you know, and then when I saw this, I, I, I just, I didn't even know what to say. Uh, it's just been amazing. Uh, everybody's generosity in in helping with that. Uh, so there's, I, I've got so much stuff to cover in the show. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this too long. Uh, I do want to uh, just kind of take a minute and, you know, again, I, I cannot even put into words how, how grateful uh, I've been for everybody's support and help on this. Um, if you didn't get a chance and you still want to, uh, there's a couple threads going on where you can, you know, post any comments or ask any questions about what's, what's happened. Um, I've been trying to keep up with them, but the last few weeks have been extremely busy for me, um, both with stuff going on with Talking Reef and uh, personal stuff. So it's been extremely busy, but uh, if you have questions or anything, please head over there and uh, we can answer it out. And uh, if you are interested in participating in in the Disaster Relief Fund, uh, the details are on the forum. Uh, If if you're interested, you can go check it out there. Uh, So again, thanks to everybody uh, that has... uh, has sent in uh, comments and stuff like that. Okay, so enough there. Let's move on. Uh, I want to mention real quick, next week's show is going to be uh, probably the last in the lighting series. It's going to be a question and answer show. I'm going to have a guest on next week uh, to help go through some of the questions and answers with me. So that should be, uh, that should be fun. The Tank of the Month contest. We have a winner for the month of November. The November Tank of the Month winner is uh, Manny. Uh, he All the information is displayed on the site. Uh, Manny is from Florida, uh, around the Miami area, and uh, he wins the Tank of the Month 
contest this month. So make sure you check out the TalkingReef.com site. Uh, there's a little button there. Uh, I think the link was broken earlier. I'm going to make sure that that gets fixed. It'll take you to the announcement thread with all of the great information on Manny's tank. Uh, and all the details there. Uh, so, Manny, your shirt is in the mail. It was shipped out today. Uh, and Victoria, from last month, you should have yours very soon. Sorry for the delay on that one. Uh, but you guys should both be set. Congratulations to Manny for winning this month. The next thing that I want to mention is a upcoming uh, frag swap in Gardner, North Carolina. Uh, this announcement is coming from Carmi Joe, one of our contest moderators, been a great help with Talking Reef. Uh, she wanted me to let everybody know that if you're in the Gardner, North Carolina area, there is a frag swap going on. Uh, this frag swap is going to be held at um, Down Under, is the name of it. It's a local fish store in the area. The website is downundersaltwater.com. Um, she speaks very highly of this place and um, does recommend that anybody that has a chance to check out uh, this, this frag swap to do so. The frag swap is being held on December 9th at 3 p.m. Um, and, you know, for all the details on there, there's a thread uh, and the forms. I'm going to try to put a link into the show notes for it, uh, or you can go all the way down at the, you know, towards the bottom of the forms. There's a, there's a little form down there for local events and swaps. So all the details are there. So, again, that's at Down Under, and it will be on December 9th at 3 p.m. So make sure you, if you're in that area at all, make sure you check that out. Uh, the last thing that I want to uh, mention before we get going into this week's topic is I am working, and this is a really kind of short notice, but I am working and we are putting together a trip to Atlanta. Uh, me and my family will be going to the uh, Georgia Aquarium. Uh, but because I'm going to be in the Atlanta area, what I want to do is I want to take some time and probably meet up with some people and you know, have a, a quick night uh, for dinner or drinks or whatever people like to do. Uh, you know, something real quick, not nothing, you know, it's not a big fancy thing, um, definitely not, you know, something, you know, you're more than welcome to, to travel in once, you know, all the details are out, but I, you know, it's probably not going to be anything special. We're probably just going to, you know, hang out, do a couple, you know, you know, have some conversation, stuff like that. Um, we're not going to be planning any big, huge uh, aquarium outing, although uh, we will, you know, I will be uh, at the aquarium um, doing some, you know, photographs and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not planning any big shows or anything, you know, from there because this is kind of a family event, uh, you know, so you know, so on and so forth. So, uh, but just to let everybody know, I'm going to be starting a thread in there. If you are in the Atlanta, Georgia area and you are interested in uh, meeting up, uh, then, uh, you know, head out uh, to the TalkingReef.com website and let us know. Uh, and just for anybody that's curious, uh, after the topic, if we have time, I'm going to kind of get into a uh, an update, a little bit of an update on my tank and what's been going on there, the ins and outs. Uh, probably not a whole lot of information, but just to kind of keep everybody updated. All right, and I just burnt away seven, eight minutes of your life that you'll never get back. <laughs> that I apologize. I've been really trying to keep the introduction shorter. Uh, so with that said, let's kind of move on. This week we're going to be talking about reflectors and ballasts. Uh, I'm going to try to get through as much as I can, but like I said, there's a lot of stuff in here, and I've got stuff uh, towards the end that I want to cover too. So I'm going to highlight some of the stuff, go through the ins and outs, uh, and so everybody knows what we're dealing with here. So that being said, let's get started. 
All right, reflectors. That's what we're going to talk about first. And I'm sure as many of you are probably familiar with already, um, the purpose of a reflector is to kind of gather and direct the light. When we're dealing with uh, any type of light, whether it's an incandescent bulb, a metal halide bulb, or fluorescent tube, uh, they, they generate light in every direction. Uh, it comes off the top, the bottom, the left, the right, everything. The purpose of the reflector is to gather up that light and reflect it all down into the tank where you need it the most. Now, there's different types of reflectors, different types of, different types of ways of implementing these reflectors to get the most efficient light down into your tank or to do that m more efficiently. The two types of reflectors when we're dealing with on metal halide bulbs are really the parallel and vertical reflectors. These are pretty generic um, and really not something you're going to be looking at specifically when you're buying your bulb. Uh, parallel reflectors only go with a certain type of setup, uh, which is your common setup. And your vertical reflectors really, you know, again, are with very specific types of setup. Parallel is what you'll commonly see. And these are the ones that you have mounted in the hood where the, uh, the bulb actually runs uh, horizontally and the the parallel reflector will actually sit on, on top of that. And this is what you'll see mounted in a hood and stuff like that. Your vertical reflectors are what you're going to find in pendant style uh, metal halide bulbs or, or so on and so forth. These are the ones that will usually be encased around it and help point everything down. Now, there's an important quality that really determines uh, how effective a reflector is going to be. And uh, it's really it has to do with the shape of it. Now, a, a term that I'm sure many of you are familiar with is parabolic. And parabolic really is a term many of you may already be familiar with. So I'm just going to describe it briefly. And what what it essentially means is if the if the reflector is parabolic, it's going to gather up all the light from the other angles and direct them all in a very specific area. This is the shape that you'll see on satellite dishes and um, stuff like that. And what it's doing is it's collecting, you know, like in a satellite dish, it's collecting everything and pointing it to a small point on the antenna that usually sits out in front of the satellite dish. Same thing here with uh, your reflectors, only it kind of works in the exact opposite. It gathers the light from the point of the light bulb and reflects it down into your tank. Now, the important thing about uh, reflectors is there, there's a couple different types that you, you'll see. There's that do-it-yourself, get a piece of sheet metal, f bend it in a hemispherical, you know, half-circle shape, and then you can mount your, your bulb in it. Uh, there's standard reflectors that have a very similar shape to this, not very many bends in them. Uh, you have some that are almost square, or they have a square top with uh, the sides that go down, but they don't go down on straight, you know, 90 degree angles. They might go down on, you know, a 70 or a 50 degree angle and kind of reflect down. And there, we have another type of reflector that's commonly referred to as a spider reflector. These are the ones that you're going to see. They're going to have lots of bends in them, and they're going to look kind of goofy. You know, right above where the light bulb is, you're going to have a little V-shaped bend. And then as the sides kind of go out, they're not going to go down in a circular curve. They're not going to go down at a hard angle. They're going to have a series of bends as you get down to the bottom edge. And even at the bottom edge, it's not going to be straight up and down. Now, why is this? 
Well, this is really what defines a good reflector versus a, well, not so good reflector. And it has to do with how it reflects the light in the tank. Now, to understand why those uh, bends are in there, you need to understand how reflection of light works. Now, the way it works is based on a simple little principle. It's the angle of incidence is equal to the angle of reflection. So that being said, if the light hits a surface at 90 degrees, it's going to be reflected back at 90 degrees relative to that surface. So if we look at a regular plane reflector, and you have your light between it, and, or inside of it, and it is rounded. Okay, so we don't have any funny bends, we just got a round, uh, a round reflector. Now let's put our light bulb up in the middle, up towards the top of it, and let's turn it on. Now if you picture this, you can picture a half of a circle with a, say, a dot up towards the top. And this is simulating kind of where your metal halide bulb would be in relation to a parallel reflector if you were looking at it from the, from the side or, or head on. Now if you take a line and draw it straight out, you're going to see that almost every place that you hit, you're going to be hitting at a 90 degree angle from that surface. And this is a problem. Uh, and the same thing applies to uh, a reflector that is, say, square shaped. You got a flat surface on the top and then leading edges coming down. Now what's going to happen there, Let's the simplest way is let's look at the bulb, the, the light coming straight up from the bulb. It's going to hit that and it's going to reflect back at the same angle, which is going to be 90 degree. So it's going to reflect back at the bulb. So what's happening here? When you have these square reflectors or these round reflectors, you're actually sending and reflecting a lot of that light right back at the bulb itself. Now this has two problems. The first problem is, well obviously it's not very efficient because you're not getting that light down into your tank where you need it. And the second problem is something that you might not have thought about right off the bat and that's you're, you're heating up your light even more because you're taking all that energy and you're radiating it, radiating it right back at your, at your bulb. So those are two big problems with it. Now when we look at the spider reflector, and again these are for metal halide bulbs, the spider reflector, uh, as I mentioned, you know, let's start right up at the top. It's got a V-shaped bend right above where the bulb is. So light that goes straight up is actually going to reflect outwards. And it's going to, you know, hit that bend and it's going to go right to the right or right to the left. And then it's going to hit another angle on the outer side of the, the reflector and bounce down into the tank. Any light that comes out at... And basically the idea is that a straight line out from the bulb uh, at any part of the reflector it hits is not a 90 degree angle, which means it's not going to bounce it back at the bulb. It's actually going to angle it down and eventually get it down into the tank. There are some great diagrams of you know, how this works, and I've, I've got a couple that I'm going to try to get into the show notes for you or for the post for this episode so you can kind of get an idea if you're having a hard time understanding it. But the the whole idea is those bends are very important and if you look at any good high quality reflector whether they're parallel reflectors or vertical reflectors you're going to see the same thing they're going to have these really funny bends in them all over the place and that's really to make sure that the the most light gets down into your system okay so those are really for metal halide bulbs 
And your, the next thing that where reflectors are really important are your fluorescent bulbs, your compact fluorescents, your VHLs, your T5s. But really where a lot of people concentrate on them is the T5s because they're such high output. Now, again, a lot of fixtures you're going to have just a standard reflective metal surface behind it. But if you look at a lot of the high-quality T5 uh, hoods that come pre-assembled, one thing that you're going to see on them is, you know, they're going to advertise that they've got individual reflectors. And this is really important when it comes to T5 lighting because you really want to take advantage of all of that light that those bulbs are putting out. Now, if you think about it, let's line up four T5 bulbs in a row and let's turn them all on. Let's look at this with a standard reflector behind it. Each one of those four bulbs is going to shine, you know, shoot light straight up. That standard reflector is going to shoot it right back down at the bulb. Each one of them on the ends is going to shoot it off to the left or the right. It's going to hit the ends of the reflector and probably come back in. And each one of those bulbs is going to shoot light both to the left and to the right into more bulbs. So you're actually wasting a lot of light that is just going to get reflected back into the bulbs. You're going to have light that's going to get shot off at a 45 degree angle from one bulb, reflect back down at that same 45 degree angle, and hit the other bulb. So as you can see, obviously, um, not the most efficient source. Now when you put this thing over your tank, needless to say, you're going to have a lot of light. But if you look at some of these hoods that have individual reflectors, you're going to see that the output is going to be a lot more. So you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck out of it. And the concept is the same. Every bit of light that's reflected out of these is actually getting focused down in there, down into your tank individually instead of trying to do it as a collective whole. So those are really the two big things when it comes to reflectors. I'm not really sure what other type of information would be you know, valid. Um, it's really how they work and their two main uses um, and that really applies pretty much everywhere. They're not very technical. Can you make them yourself? Absolutely, you can make them yourself. But the thing to remember is you don't just want to get a piece of sheet metal and bend it you know, in half or whatever and curl it up and use it as a reflector. While it'll work, it's very inefficient. And it can you know, cause excessive uh, energy getting put into your light bulb, which can you know, which could possibly decrease you know the lifetime of that bulb because you're cooking it. So if you do uh, decide to build your own reflectors, which, like I said, absolutely you can do it. Just take a little bit of time and do a little bit of homework, and you want to try to go off this spider design uh, with with all these these bends in there, and it's really not hard uh, to get an image of those. Like I said, I'm going to try to put some of these these images in the show notes, but if you just go on the internet and you Google for spider reflector, you'll see um, a lot of results will come back, or go into any of your, your favorite online uh, stores for marine hobby stuff, and you'll see them in there. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up our discussion with with reflectors. Uh, again, it's not very long. There's really not a whole lot there. If you've got questions or comments uh, or anything about reflectors, you know the drill. You can call them in the voicemail or post them on the website and we'll get into it. So that being said, let's take a short break and then we're going to move into ballasts.
All right, welcome back as we get into topic two on the part four of the lighting series. And as I'm sure you know, part two in this series, or part two in this show, is on ballasts. Now, what the heck is a ballast? A lot of you have heard the term, but you may not know exactly what it's for. Sure, that's where you supply power to your bulbs. Well, it's a little bit more than that. Now, I'm going to start off with an analogy that I read a long time ago, and I thought it was a pretty good analogy to explain really what the job of the ballast is. Now, for starters, let's let's think of a lightning bolt. Uh, you know, a lot of you remember that when, when we're explaining how the metal halide bulbs work and how the fluorescent bulbs work, you have this arc of electricity that gets shot from one end to the other. And it's the same in both you know, floor, you know, incandescent bulb. Well, not incandescent bulbs, but in metal halide bulbs, where you have your arc tube, and in your fluorescent bulb, where you you cause the electricity flow to to ignite the the gases inside there. Now, if you look at how a lightning bolt works, it actually works very very similar, in that it just doesn't come out of nowhere. What usually happens when you have a ground striking bolt of lightning is um, unless you've done a little bit of, of homework or anything, you might not realize this, but before a lightning bolt actually strikes, you get this ionized trail. Uh, technical term, I believe, is called leader. Uh, but this actually is a, a trail, uh, an ionized trail that cr- comes up from the ground or from the surface that's going to get struck and essentially creates a pathway for the, for the electricity or the lightning bolt to follow. And as this leader goes up from the ground, it's going to connect with say, for simple terms, the cloud, and that's going to cause this pathway for the electricity to come out and shoot down this path. Now, as you are aware, a lightning bolt is very powerful. It is a whole lot of energy released all at once. So you have this path created, and then, bam, it just explodes. Well, the thing, this this is essentially exactly what's going to happen in your bulb if there wasn't a ballast. Uh, When that arc is first created, we're creating a path for the electricity to follow from one end to the other. And if we don't have some way to control the amount of electricity, it's going to all just, again, bam, all at once. Uh, It's going to arc across there. Uh, when we when we're talking about the amount of electricity that's coming out of your electrical sockets, now the problem is, and this is something that can happen if not commonly, it's actually rarely happens. Um, but if you have a short in your ballast, uh, it can literally cause this to happen in your bulb. Now, obviously, we're not going to have a, a lightning bolt uh, or, or something that the, that intensity happen, but it's going to be a large zap of electricity, and this usually causes your bulb to burn out. Uh, or no longer work. And in even rare cases, it can cause the bulb to even explode. Uh, but again, I don't want to get everybody freaked out about it. It's not something that, that happens all the time. So so again, the, the idea of what a ballast does is it's it's like a resistor. And without getting into the technical details of, of the inner workings of a ballast, some of the basic ballasts are actually just res- collections of resistors. Um, so what it does is it works to slow down and resist and, and limit, like throttle, the amount of electricity that's being given to the bulb, just so it's not all at once. So that's really what a ballast does. Now, a couple important things to to mention is there is a couple different types of ballast. You have magnetic ballast and you've got electric uh, electric ballast or electronic ballast. 
there are some differences and we'll get into some of those differences. A couple things that I want to mention, um, you know, just in general, uh, some of the general points here, there are multiple different types of manufacturers out there and I'm not going to get into which manufacturer is better than another, um, but you'll see ballast, single ballast, double ballasts, um, that'll actually run one light, two lights, whatever. Uh, but the thing that I want to mention is ballasts are very specific to the application in which you're using them. If you buy a ballast that is meant for a certain type of bulb, uh, which we'll get into in a minute when we get into the magnetic ballast, uh, then you can you really have to stay with those types of certain starting method. Uh, but when we get into like HQI bulbs versus single-ended bulbs, uh, there is a difference in the ballast. You can't just flip-flop between them easily. Uh, there's also very specific um, wattage. So if you buy a ballast for a 150 watt metal halide bulb, you really can't use that to run your 400 watt metal halide bulb. So, you know, trying to buy a cheaper, lower powered ballast now, thinking, well, okay, I'll just upgrade later, it just doesn't really work like that. So, you really need to pay attention to what you're getting now. And if your plans are to upgrade later, then make sure that you're getting something that is appropriate for your future upgrade. Now, when we're talking about magnetic ballasts, um, there's that's really where I want to concentrate. Uh, electronic ballasts have uh, many benefits, um, but they're really all, you know, the same. Uh, but when you deal with magnetic ballasts, there are differences in your magnetic ballast. You have what's called probe start, and you have what's called pulse start, uh, and there is a difference between the two. Most of the common magnetic ballasts you're going to find nowadays are pulse start, but you can find, you will see probe start also. Probe start are going to be cheaper, it's your older technology, um, and, and here, basically what the difference is, is uh, let's start with how they work. Now, when you have a probe start, um, we have it's the way that it actually fires the bulb. So if you remember back when we were talking about the metal halide bulbs, we have an electrode on each end of the arc tube. So we have this little arc tube, and this is this, this area um, where we have the, the blown quartz uh, arc tube, and that's where your electrodes go in. And you have this arc that gets fired from one electrode to the other. Now, we didn't get into this when we talked about the specific metal halides because this is more related to the ballast and specific to the bulbs. But when you are using probe start, what you actually have is you have a third little electrode, and it's like a starter electrode. And this is placed right next to of one of your beginning electrodes. So you actually have three different electrode points inside that arc tube. And what happens in your, your probe start is there's actually a little contact that is made on this probe, on this begin probe electrode. And it causes an electrical fire to happen inside there. You, you're, you know, it's, it's very similar to how your stove starts. If you have like a gas grill or a gas stove, you have that little electric click, 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 and you have a little electric, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? A little current of electricity that gets fired across there. Well, that's exactly what happens in here. And it causes enough of a beginning of the arc inside there to start ionizing some of that gas so you can start uh, and get a full arc all the way across. Now, in the pulse start, we don't have that. Now, what does that mean? We don't have that electrode in there. So, basically what happens is that the, the ballast itself is going to, uh, essentially it's going to wind up and it's going to, hold up enough energy and it's going to build it up and it's going to give it a big pulse jump and it's going to shoot a pulse of electricity enough to clear all the way across the arc tube to the other electrode and get it fired up 
Now, some of the positive and negatives between uh, a probe start and a pulse start ballast. The first thing is probe starts um, are much slower. They take 10 to 20 minutes before they can be restarted. If you remember back in the metal halide show, we mentioned that you know some some metal halide bulbs when you turn them off they need time to cool back down before they can re be restarted well these probe starts because they don't generate a huge amount of electricity to get them started everything has to cool back off inside and that can take 10 to 20 minutes so that's 10 to 20 minutes before they can turn back on why is that important you turn them off every night they come back on the next day you've got hours before you need to turn them back on well, think about a power outage or just a, a brownout, a glitch, an accidental flip of the switch. Anything like that can cause your lights to get shut off. Well, they won't turn right back on. And it can be 20 minutes before they turn back on. Now, really not a big deal to most people. Um, it can be a little irritating if you're in the middle of working on your tank. And, you know, this is, and I can tell firsthand, this is something that I've done. Um, I'll be working on my tank and I'll, I'll reach around and I'll go to unplug a couple of my power heads and it just happens that my CO uh, power head, my CO pump has a plug that is almost identical to the plug that my metal halide bulb is plugged into and I have done that before as I've unplugged my bulb instead of my power head. Now again, not a big deal, but now I just lost half the light in my tank for you know a good 10 minutes before I can turn it back on. You know, now mine aren't probe start, but you get the point. It's you know even with the pulse start, you're going to have a short amount of time where you before you can turn those back on. Now, so magnetic probe starts, you have about a 10 to 20 minute startup time. Now the pulse start, and I explained how those work. Those are the ones that shoot you know just a huge pulse of electricity across the the arc tube to you know to fire them up. They can have a much shorter start time, anywhere from two minutes up to eight minutes. Um, now, just because they, that's where they sit, they don't always restart there. Like mine, uh, mine are PFO magnetic ballast, and I believe that they are pulse start. Um, but they've got like a built-in timer that says X amount of minutes before they'll even try to refire your bulbs. So, um, but they do have the capacity to start much sooner. Now, some of the other important things in here is that little arc tube. If you remember, it's a, it's a specially blown piece of quartz, uh, you know, very, very hard material. Um, but if you look at the design from a structural standpoint, um, where each one of those electrical uh, electrodes go in, you have a kind of like a seal point. It's where the quartz is not solid, and it's got to make contact with something. And those are, from a structural standpoint, those are weak points in in the structure of the arc tube. Uh, so with a you know a probe start uh, bulb or whatever, we've got an, a third weak point in there. So what this means is you can only pack so much in there because uh, you've got you've got to fill up this arc tube with with the gases and the stuff that we mentioned with the elements that we were talking about in the in the last show when when we were discussing metal halide bulbs. So it's it's kind of hard to to explain, but we've got, essentially we've got a, a weaker casing, a weaker arc tube, so we can we can only put so much pressure in there. When we don't have that third electrode in there, it's stronger and we can in, essentially think of it like a, a tire. You can put more air pressure into it. You can fill it up with more stuff. And this can cause longer longer burn times, longer life. Um, it can cause uh, 
you know, less degradation over time. You know how we talked about over time your bulbs fade off and the color spectrum changes where they can make that less dramatic and put more time before they burn out. And it can also make them burn more efficiently. Now, the differences between the two are not drastic. They're not huge. You're not going to go from having a bulb for six months to having it for 12 months. Um, but there are some differences in there. Um, now, magnetic ballasts, you know, in contrast to an electronic ballast, um, there are some differences also. Uh, so we've talked about a couple different types of magnetic ballasts. Now let's talk about magnetic ballasts as a whole. Magnetic ballasts, because of the way that they work, are going to generate this, this hum. And it's a little noise that comes off of the ballast. When you flip that ballast on, it's going to start this little low-pitched hum. Now, not a big deal unless the ballast is sitting right next to, I don't know, your head when you're sitting on the couch. I don't know. That could be irritating. Mine are in another room. Mine are actually in the basement. But a lot of people's tanks, they've got their ballast put away. The remote ballasts are not sitting there, so it's really not a big deal. But some of the other important things that come along with this hum is that is the way that magnetic ballasts work. They also get much hotter than an electronic ballast gets. So you do have excess heat issues to worry about. Now, again, as long as you have remote ballast and you can put them in a place where that heat is not going to contribute to your tank's heat, um, then it's really not a big deal. Again, I mean, I, of course, this is this is my opinion. Um, from in my situation, it's not really a big deal. Uh, so the extra heat and that little hum has no impact on anything that I do. Uh, but you know, that being said, your situation might be different. So here's the the compare and contrast of magnetic ballast. Now, some of the good things is uh, they are more physical and less electronic. Well, obviously, they're you know we're comparing a magnetic ballast versus an electronic ballast. Uh, so one of the things that comes with that is you don't have these electrical components components in there, and what that can lead to is a more stable ballast. Now, one of the things that I want to put in favor of a magnetic ballast, and I, I don't want people to, to respond back with this in, in a negative manner, but research that I've, I've done and people that I've talked to that are owners of supply shops have given me the feedback that magnetic ballasts are usually more durable and long-lasting than electronic ballasts. Now, again, before you come back and say, I've had mine for five years and it's never broke, I understand that. A lot of people have had these for a long time and they continue to work. But I'm not talking about one person's ballast. I'm not saying that every ballast has got a short life if it's electronic. But what I am saying is that in the long haul, um, the research that I've shown and the information that I have gathered has shown that um, these people that I've talked to that run supply shops and who sell this stuff for have, and have sold this stuff for years have said they get more returns on failed electronic ballasts. So, you know, again, I'm not saying don't buy an electronic ballast, but understand that they may not be, you know, a, a magnetic ballast may be a good option, you know, if it's something you're looking at. Um, now, electronic ballasts, on the other hand, have some very good points. They are more energy efficient. Um, they're going to, a lot of times they can burn your bulbs, you know, brighter and better with ele less electricity. Um, they're going to give you, you know, a lot of times it's reported they'll give you better spectrum colors. They're going to hold those spectrums longer. There's going to be less variance in those spectrums. Um, you know, and like I mentioned before, the ballasts run cooler. Um, they're, and, you know, they're going to use, they're probably going to use a little bit of elect less electricity because they're a lot, you know, more efficient. And they're also not going to have that hum noise that comes along with a magnetic ballast. 
So that's really, you know, about it. I mean, those are the big details when we're talking about ballast. Um, you know, for time's sake, I didn't really want to get into the in-depth inner workings of, of exactly how these work because uh, I'm trying to keep these shows a little bit short. But if you have more questions on this, please feel free to let us know. We are going to be gathering up questions that we've received um, since I started the lighting series, uh, and you know, as I mentioned, we're going to have a guest on. Uh, I'm going to have a guest on who's going to help me go through a lot of those questions. Uh, so, if you have questions about the ballast, about the electronic ballast, the magnetic ballast, what's the difference, so on and so forth, you know, then, then, uh, you know, let me know. Uh, again, uh, the one thing I don't want to say here is which one is better. Um, you know, obviously. Most people are going to feel that your electronic ballast is a better ballast. It is a more expensive ballast. Um, you know, like I said, they are more they they are slightly more efficient, and they can, they've got a lot of positives. But if you're looking at magnetic ballasts, don't look at them as their junk. They are good quality ballasts that are that are magnetic ballasts. Also, look at the way you need to apply it to your system, the environment in which it's going to go into, and if you have more specific questions, hey, that's what Talking Reef is here for. You let us know, post it in the forums, or you can ask it, and we will do the best we can to answer you. So that's going to wrap up the discussion on ballast and topic number two. If you want to uh, stick around for a little bit longer, we've got our community update. I've got some updates on my tank that we're going to talk about and a few other things that I'm going to throw in there for you. So uh, with that being said, let's wrap up this segment, and we'll be back in a couple minutes. All right, so we are about done with the topics. Uh, thanks for sticking around to hear some of the up community update stuff. Uh, the first thing is about my tank. Uh, again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, special thanks to everybody. I can't even express how, how grateful I am for everybody who is who has contributed to the disaster fund, um, everybody who has sent in their comments uh, and best wishes for everything that's going on. Uh, now, with my tank got some good news um i think i'd mentioned it in a post before um but in the in the podcast that i did explaining the the incident i had mentioned that um i could only find one of my mandarins uh the good news is i have found the other one they are both in there alive and well uh and they're both doing real good uh the die-off and the coral has uh, what I thought had subsided and had been halted, uh, that is not true. One of the corals that was not severely impacted uh, actually was impacted just slower. And since that event up until this day has continued to slowly die off. And I've been monitoring it, and each day there's a little bit more, a little bit more tissue loss. So what's, what's going to happen is... Uh, I'm going to give it until uh, this weekend, which as I record this on uh, on Wednesday, it's a couple more days left. So uh, I'm going to give it to this weekend, and if it if it's still doing this, uh, then what's going to happen is it's going to be taken out of the tank and it's going to be fragged. Uh, and this this is a common practice when you have when you have a coral that is is exhibiting these signs of recession, is you try to frag off. Uh, the parts where it's still good and so that the recession kind of doesn't get there and hopefully try to save some of the coral. Um, all of the uh, majority of the other corals, um, you know, like I had mentioned, are dead. 
Uh, you know, some of them had a couple spots that were still alive. I've still got some of those, but a majority of them are, are actually just completely gone. Um, my Montiporos were, uh, for the most part, not affected. Uh, I mean, they were affected, but just not not ex as extreme. I've got the I've got orange and uh, uh, orange Montipora digitata and brown with purple tips Montipora digitata. And while both of those were impacted uh, in that they were slight signs of bleaching, they got lighter in color, uh, polyp extension kind of stopped for a little while, their polyp started stopped coming out for a little while, um, they have started to recover. Uh, the brown digitata are extending again. Um, we're getting slight beginnings of the purple and the tips again. Not very much, though. I don't expect them to. I'm actually surprised I'm seeing any at all. Uh, my orange digitata are actually doing quite well. Uh, I'm starting to get some of the orange back, and I'm starting to get a lot more uh, polyp extension out of them. The polyps are starting to come out. So far, it's only on uh, the upper sides, the, the bottom parts where light doesn't directly hit. The polyp extension is still you know, a little bit behind. It's not as much... Um, but they're getting there. They're doing well. Um, you know, as I mentioned, majority of the Acropora uh, have died off. I've got an Acropora solentarius, which uh, is going to be going in for some fragging. Uh, I probably had about 80% die off on that, uh, but there are is you know some parts that are, are still alive. So I'm going to cut off all the dead parts and see if we can get some life back out of that one. Um, I had a nice blue Acropora millipora, which actually has done very well generally speaking, has done quite well in that there has been no signs of any tissue loss. However, all of the blue color has turned to just a flat brown, um, actually very drab looking. So I'm going to, you know, try to work to get some of the coloration back on that one. We'll see how it goes, which is a shame because it was a very, very beautiful blue color, blue color in that one. So um, that's pretty much it. My trumpet coral uh, is holding steady. Um, it's Still has a lot of tissue loss. There was uh, a lot of die-off on that one. Um, but it, some good news is about a week ago, it it started releasing its feeder tentacles again, or sweeper tentacles, and has been taking some food. Uh, most of the, you know, like I said, most of the tissue's gone, so uh, I'm really working with it to see how much, you know, I can get it to eat. And so far, it's looking pretty good. I don't see it, you know, continuing to die off. And uh, so hopefully we should be able to get some recovery out of that one also. Uh, my fungia plate coral and my pagoda cup both doing very well. Uh, little to no impact on them. Uh, my echinopora, uh, which was that the plate coral that I was trying to recover, uh, still looking pretty good. Had lost most of the color. Uh, well, actually, that was the one I had posted some pictures of where it had looked very bleached out. Uh, we've recovered from the bleaching event, however. Uh, I'm still stuck with essentially a brown coral. All the pink's gone, all the purple's gone, all the blue's gone. Uh, so that's, you know, that's pretty much uh, a brief summary. Uh, I've got uh, the three fish left, uh, the clownfish, the uh, two mandarins. My anemone is still doing fine. A couple of the corals that are still doing fine. My Pisillopora, uh, which is one of the corals is that actually held through pretty good through everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, my tank was very dominant with Acropora and... Well, most of them are gone. So uh, we're going to be rebuilding. Um, you know, I you know, got a lot of coral and we're going to be doing in there. I'm going to take the opportunity to redo some of the aquascaping, uh, move some things around, uh, hopefully uh, get it built up a little bit better than it was before. 
Uh, so that's a brief update on uh, what's going on with my tank. And some of the rest of the closing items for this week, I want to mention to everybody, uh, it's not something I've mentioned in a while, but uh, what I want to say is subscribe to the feed. Uh, if you are somebody who listens to the show uh, through the website, take a couple minutes, get something like iTunes or I think even Windows Media Player does it now too, but subscribe to the podcast feed. You'll get the shows every week automatically downloaded to your computer and you don't have to do anything except listen to them. And that also helps uh, gather up some of the statistics, which is going to help me uh, show to potential uh, advertisers and sponsors uh, that we have a lot of people listening to the show. So if you think about it and you've got a minute, just subscribe to the show. It really makes everything a lot easier for everybody. Uh, also, uh, you know, you guys are excellent at this, and I just kind of want to say it just because I want to say it, uh, but spread the word. You know, if you've got a friend, you got your local uh you know, your local club meetings, mention the Talking Reef podcast, let people know about it. And a great way to do that uh, is with, you know, some of our Talking Reef shirts. Uh, as you've seen, we, we've kind of cut back the shirt of the week to kind of the shirt of the bye week. Uh, every other week, we're releasing a new shirt. We're going to have a new one coming out this week also. Uh, you know, so make sure you go in there and check them out. We've had some feedback from some people that the fonts on some of the shirts were too small, hard to read. We're listening to that feedback. Um, we're going to make the, the next rounds of shirts bigger. Uh, if you have something that you want on a shirt, just let us know. We can do it. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, but this is a great way to help spread the word. You can wear the shirt set. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff. There's bumper stickers, mugs, clocks, all that fun stuff. So uh, you can find all the details at TalkingReef.com or you can get them directly. Uh, actually, just, yeah, right at TalkingReef.com. There's links all over there uh, to pick up all your Talking Reef swag. Uh, another thing that we are working on and just kind of wanted to give everybody a heads up is we're working on doing a live Q&A show. Uh, I think I've mentioned this on some of the past shows, but uh, I'm trying to get input and collect input on doing a live Q&A show. So if you listen to like NPR or really any type of, of radio show, you have listeners that call in live, ask questions, and the guests answer those questions live on the air. Well, we're looking at seeing if people are interested in doing something like that. I've got a lot of the, the technology components lined up where we can probably make some of this happen. We can schedule something even on our chat nights where we can get you know, 10, 20 people together and we can kind of go through a controlled you take five minutes and we'll go through, give a couple minutes to each person and answer some questions for them. Uh, we can then record that publishes a podcast uh, should be some interesting interactive shows so if you've got questions or comments regarding that or you want to be involved in that then make sure you you, you know post in the forums and, and we can work to get something going there tank of the month contest for december entries are open uh, i'm going to keep that pretty short there uh, you know if you know as with the rest of them if you want to win tank of the month get your tank up on the home page of the website or every page of the website and you want to win a special uh, tank of the month winner t-shirt then you know make sure you get your entry in you don't have to have super tank or anything like that you know, if, even if you don't, you like your tank, that's all that matters. Enter your tank with brief description, a couple pictures. All the rules and, and everything are posted in the contest form. So head over there with a couple pictures and, and get your, your tank posted or entered for the contest. 
last but not least, listener call in line. Don't forget, call in any questions, comments, introduction, especially introductions. I'd love to get more uh, into the voicemail line. Uh, it's quick and easy. You can dial area code 586-486-3357 from your telephone. You can call on Skype using the screen name Talking Reef, or you can just go to the easy way, just go right to the website. You're there anyways, aren't you? Over on the left-hand side, you're going to see a little blue box. It's uh, it's comment line, and just hit the little record button. All you need is a microphone, and you can record your comment. Uh, they're not all made public. They're made public if you want them to be made public. If you want to just leave a comment or something, then I can pull that, and I can put it on the show. So... Uh, that's all there is to it. So that's going to wrap up part four in the lighting series. I thank you all for joining me. Questions and comments, make sure you head over to the website, call in lines, and we'll get them answered for the next show. So that's going to wrap it up, and I will talk to you all next week with the lighting Q&A show. Talk to you later. <laughs>